For my sermon, it is entitled, For the Beauty of the Earth. And that is one of my favorite hymns. And it is a hymn upon which this sermon is based. This great hymn touches our senses. Sight, touch, taste, smell, and hearing in nature that opens us up to God's world and God's presence within the world. Nature can inspire and move the heart toward God if we but recognize that the beauty we see around us comes from our Creator. Please close your eyes and try to visualize what these inspiring words from the hymn are describing. For the beauty of the earth, for the glory of the skies, for the love which from our birth over and around us lies. Lord of all, to thee we raise this our hymn in grateful praise. For the beauty of each hour, of the day and of the night, hill and vale and tree and flower, sun and moon and stars of light. Lord of all, to thee we raise this our hymn of grateful praise. For the joy of ear and eye, for the heart and mind's delight, for the mystic harmony linking sense to sound and sight. Lord of all, to thee we raise this our hymn of grateful praise. For the joy of human love, brother, sister, parent, child, Friends on earth and friends above, all for all gentle thoughts and mild, Lord of all, to thee we raise this our hymn of grateful praise. Truly, this great planet, with all of its beauty, is a gift from God. This is affirmed in our scripture lesson from the first chapter of the Old Testament book of Genesis. In poetic fashion, the wind of God's spirit swept over the face of the waters and said, let there be light. God provided dry land from the waters, then put vegetation plants bearing seed and fruit of all kinds. God then brought forth living creatures of many varieties. Then our scripture text says, God created humankind in his image in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God said that the creature creation was very good, and then God rested, and we have the Sabbath. To be sure, this passage is not a scientific description of how the earth was created. Rather, it tells us who created it, and that is extremely important. There is one word in our scripture text that has become problematic. Can you guess what word that is? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 36, it states, Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. The problematic word is dominion. 
The word is defined as in charge of something or to rule over it. That, however, is not God's intention. The earth does not belong to us. It belongs to God. Rather, we are to be stewards, caretakers of the earth. Our task is to safeguard the earth rather than to ransack and plunder it, as in fact we have tragically done. As we all should know, on August 9th of this year, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, that's IPCC, released a jaw-dropping report that laid bare the choices we must make to ensure a livable and equitable future in the face of climate change. Make no mistake about it, climate change is here. The more than 51 billion tons of carbon dioxide we pump into the air each year is wrapping an atmosphere blanket around our planet, causing more powerful hurricanes, worsening droughts, melting glaciers, and rising sea levels are affecting populations around the world at an ever faster pace. While nations have now stepped up efforts to reduce greenhouse gas emissions under the Paris Accord, the new UN requested report makes it abundantly clear that we must do more now. The critical report described how humans have altered the environment at an unprecedented rate and detailed how catastrophic impacts lie ahead unless the world rapidly and dramatically cuts greenhouse gas emissions. It leaves no scientific doubt that humans are fueling climate change. That much is unequivocal. The only real uncertainty remains, its authors say, is whether the world can master the will to stave off a darker future than the one that is already carved in stone. This alarming assessment, compiled by 234 authors relying on more than 14,000 studies from around the globe, bluntly lays out for policymakers and the public the most up-to-date understanding of the physical science on climate change. Released among a summer of deadly fires, floods, and heat waves, it arrived less than three months before a critical summit this November in Scotland, where world leaders face mounting pressure to move more urgently to slow the Earth's warming. This summer alone, blistering heat waves have killed hundreds of people in the United States and Canada. Floods have devastated Germany and China, and wildfires have raged out of control in Siberia, Turkey, and Greece. Even in our own country, global warming will cause more coastal flooding, heavy precipitation as either rainfall or snowfall, heat waves, forest fires, and we've seen those, drought, hurricanes, and more immigrants on our southern border. In fact, 
the United Nations High Commission for Refugees said that there are approximately 21 and a half million people who flee their homes as a result of the sudden onset of weather hazards every single year. Just within the last two weeks, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service proposed removing 21 species from the endangered list because they have now gone extinct. Government scientists say they have done everything they can to find any remaining trace of 23 bird, fish, and other species. They also warned that climate change and habitat destruction could lead to other extinctions. With climate change and natural area loss pushing more and more species to the brink, now is the time to lift up proactive, collaborative, and innovative efforts to save America's wildlife, says Deb Halen, U.S. Secretary of the Interior. The newly extinct species include the ivory-billed woodpecker, which was known as the Lord Godbird and was America's largest woodpecker. The Bachmann's warbler, one of America's rarest songbirds, also is on the list. Like the COVID pandemic, climate change will deeply disrupt the ways that we have become accustomed to living. If we do nothing and keep living the way that we're used to, it will be a death sentence for hundreds of millions of people and billions of members of other species. To avoid that kind of suffering and to find a new way to relate to the rest of life on Earth, we must take immediate action. So far, however, the collective effort to slow climate change has gravely been insufficient. Instead of the sort of emission cuts that scientists say must happen, global greenhouse gas pollution is still growing. Countries have failed to meet targets that were set under the 2015 Paris Accord, and even the bolder pledges that some nations recently have embraced still leave the world in a perilous path. As a 74-year-old male whose parents both died at the age of 84, I may have about 10 years or so of living here on Earth. Climate change will not have the effect on someone my age compared to someone who is younger or from those who are yet unborn. Yet I care deeply what the future holds for them, and I hope that you care as well. I greatly admire the Swedish teenager with the round face and straight blonde hair by the name of Greta Thunberg, who delivered a strong, eloquent speech to the delegates of the United Nations in 2019, strongly scolding them for failing to curb climate change. This brave young climate activist who has struggled with Asperger syndrome obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD, and selective autism 
was rightly designated as Time Magazine's Person of the Year in 2019. She said, for more than 30 years, science has been crystal clear. How dare you continue to look away? We are the ones who will have to clean up the mess that you adults have made, and we are the ones who more likely to suffer now, wrote Thunberg in an essay co-authored with three other young climate activists, Adriana Calderon of Mexico, Farzana Farouk Jihulu of Bangladesh, and Eric Nugana of Kenya. The four also wrote the foreword to a new UNICEF report. The Children's Climate Risk Index breaks down globally the effects of climate change on children, ranking countries based on children's exposure to excessive heat, cyclones, air pollution, flooding, water scarcity, and other environmental hazards. Almost every child on earth is exposed to at least one climate or environmental hazard, according to the report, and 850 million, about a third of all the world's children, are exposed to at least four. The report also assesses by country the children's vulnerability to those dangers. Heartbreakingly, children are, by and large, much more vulnerable than adults to the brutality of climate change's effects. That's because of their anatomic, cognitive, immunologic, and psychologic differences. According to a study from the Columbia University Millman School of Public Health, and among the world's children, as Thunberg and her co-authors point out in their essay, the inequalities are disturbingly stark. 33 countries, including Central African Republic, Chad, Nigeria, and Kenya, are considered extremely high risk for children. But those countries collectively emit just 9% of global carbon dioxide emissions. The 10 countries with the highest emissions, including China, which is number one, the United States, number two, Russia and Japan, collectively account for nearly 70% of global emissions. And children in those higher emitting states face lower risk. Only one of these countries, India, is ranked as extremely high risk in the UNICEF report. That the poorest children in the poorest countries suffer the most because of the unwillingness of those of us in rich countries to change our behavior is not surprising to any adult who has been paying attention at these times. But it should be nothing less than shocking and appalling, and it should spur us, governments, companies, and individuals, to take immediate action. Sadly, 
Sometimes we need children to point out the unfairness that is in plain sight. Thunberg and her fellow youth activists are providing that vital service now. What this means is that we need to make a decisive change from fossil fuels toward clean, renewable sources of energy, especially solar, wind, hydro, tidal, geothermal, and biomass energies. We need to protect forest and topsoil, rivers and oceans, pollinators and other living creatures with whom we share this planet. To say nothing, we also need to share, uh, take care of the ecosystems upon which all life depends. And we must do so quickly, equitably, and despite the opposition of entrenched political and corporate powers that are determined to keep drilling and burning, mining, extracting, plundering, and profiting for as long as they can, even though their businesses are wrecking havoc on our planet. Not all is lost, however, and humanity can still prevent the planet from getting any harder. Doing so will require a coordinated effort among countries to stop adding carbon dioxide to the atmosphere by 2050, which would entail a rapid shift away from fossil fuels starting immediately, as well as potentially removing vast amounts of carbon from the air. If that happened, global warming would likely halt and level off at around 1.5 degrees Celsius or 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit, the report concludes. Let us be honest. There are all too many people, including those in Christian churches, who behave as though some lives are more disposable than others. The expectation of Jesus to love our neighbors as ourselves is an inconvenient truth. Sometimes it is assumed that neighbors are only those who reside within the borders of our own nation, and then only if they have been here for at least a few years. If we are to reclaim the centrality of the sanctity and the integrity of creation, if we are to act on the ideal that this material world really does matter, both to us and to God, then we need to take action now. What can we do? We can cut back on our use of fossil fuels. Currently, for example, Lynette and I have two vehicles. One is a minivan and the other is a hybrid car. Of course, the hybrid car gets far better fuel mileage. So when we trade in the van, probably within the next year or so, we will get another hybrid car or an all electric one. I know that in the bipartisan bill before Congress that $7.5 billion would go to electric vehicle charging stations. That is badly needed, as is, I believe, the clean energy part of the Democratic bill 
to enable the United States to generate 40% of its electricity from solar power by 2035. Currently, only 4% of our electricity comes from solar power. Probably one of the most effective ways to lower air pollution is through a carbon tax. This would make carbon use more expensive and the additional tax monies would be spent towards subsidizing renewable energy or returning to money to taxpayers in other ways or both. We can also recycle, use less plastic, eat a more plant-based diet, and a host of other things. Yet the scope and the speed of the climate crisis also requires engagement in collective action for social transformation. That means that we should lobby for governmental policies that support renewable energy, clean green jobs, and a just transition that addresses the needs of the poor and low wealth communities and communities of color. My friends, we need to use our voices and our votes and make it politically possible to do what is scientifically and morally necessary. We can support the growing movement to hold the biggest polluters financially and legally liable for the damage they knowingly caused and continue to cause. This is important because more than 8 million people died in 2018 from fossil fuel pollution, significantly higher than previous research suggested, according to new research from Harvard University in collaboration with the University of Birmingham, the University of Leicester, and the University College London. Researchers estimated that the exposure to particulate matter from fossil fuel emissions accounted for 18% of total deaths in 2018, a little less than one out of five. Likewise, we can support such groups as the Sierra Club, Union of Concerned Scientists, Wildlife Conservation Society, and others. You can go to charitynavigator.org to check on the rating of these various charities. I always do that to make sure that our money goes to the best charities possible. As Christians, we must do our part to act as good stewards of this wonderful creation that God has given. We can clearly see this in Jesus' life and teachings. Please remember, my friends, that Jesus lived in close relationship with the natural world. In the Gospels, we find him walking along the seashore and up the mountain, taking boats out on the lake and spending time alone in the wilderness in prayer. His parables and stories are full of the natural images, sheep and seeds, sparrows and lilies, water and fire, weeds, vines, and rocks. What would it be like to reclaim the kind of intimacy with the natural world that Jesus knew, to know as he did, that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows God's handiwork as it states 
in the 19th Psalm. To create a more just and habitable world and to live more gently on earth is how we can share in what Archbishop Desmond Tutu calls the supreme work of Jesus Christ, who reconciles us to God, to one another, and to God's whole creation. My friends, we can make a difference. Let's get to work. Amen.